Hi, everyone. <laughs> and welcome. We are glad you're with us if you're joining us. And since we're just starting, I'm assuming either no one's on with us or one or two people are on with us. So that, that's sort of how things go. And um, But what I wanted to do, Dave, is ask you a question. Actually, it came up on the last time that we met. And it, you know, since we have a few more minutes before it begins. So the question of, we we're talking about the military in particular, and you know, the military, it's all about breaking you down in terms of your identity as an individual and then reshaping you as part of a unit or part of a, you know, a wider body, you might say. And um, that in and of itself is an identity. And the question that came up actually was, what does it look like to have a, like in what ways is there a clash between um, your military identity and your gospel identity? Obviously there are many overlaps, things work really well. Right. But, you know, in speaking in this, this actually came up, a uh, question came from someone who was um, in the military. So. The, the question of, well, what happens when the ideals don't necessarily match up, where you're ordered to do something that seemingly goes against a gospel identity? How do you, how do you navigate that? If you're, let's say you're talking to a soldier, comes in, says, you know, chaplain, I'm, I'm really struggling because my superiors order me to do something that is, I believe, is morally wrong. Mm -hmm. What should I do? And how, how can I be a Christian in light of that? Right. I'd like to hear what you think about that. Um, Sorry to throw that curveball on you. I didn't even tell you this was coming. So FYI, for anyone who's listening. <laughs> you know, I think, um, so I, I think that the conversation would begin with, you know, the question of the morality of the thing. Like we, I would want to make sure that, that we were both on the same page with that, that what they were actually asking was immoral. Mm -hmm. And if that were the case. Yes. Let's assume it, it is the case. Sure. Yeah. That you thought it was as well as him. Right. Um, so then the big question becomes, uh, first, in my mind anyway, a question of confidentiality because chaplains in the military have complete confidentiality. So you can come into my office and tell me absolutely anything. And I can't tell anyone what we talked about unless you give me permission. So I would see it as my role. And, and there's sort of two paths here. One is caring for the individual and the other one is, is the role with the organization. Because if a commander is asking someone to do something immoral, well, he shouldn't be. Uh, and we can address that. Uh, and I'm, I'm in a pretty good position to address that. That's one of the blessings of the chaplain who kind of, kind of sort of lies outside the chain of command. Not, we don't lie outside the chain of command, but we're, we have a special function within it mm -hmm. um, to approach the command and say, hey, wait a second, what are you doing here? Uh, and help them now talk about the, the morality of the thing, because maybe they don't view it as immoral. Um, 
you can have that conversation with the individual, with the commander or whoever is, is making the request. And then if they don't see it, there are ways to pursue it further up the chain of command. Um, now, caring for the individual, um, certainly they would need to agree to that. So, you know, they would be a part of that. Um, and I could provide some protection officially anyway. Um, but I think then it becomes a ministry of standing up for what you believe and standing up for what is right. And honestly, I don't think that would be any different uh, in the military as it is in the civilian world. Um, if you mm. were to, to take a stand that was against what your office was doing or what you know the people at your work, your boss was asking you to do, well, that's gonna have some negative ramifications. And so, you know, hey, you're standing in your faith and you need to depend on God here. And, and we need to walk this through together, standing firm and, and, and allow the chips to fall where they may and trusting that the Lord will be there too. You know, this could go really well or this could go not so well. Mm -hmm. And we need to be prepared for both, for both uh, places. Mm -hmm. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, no, that that's good. Thank you so much. So you know what? I'm I'm I've been blessed. Like that stuff doesn't happen much anyway. I, like immoral things, it probably happens more than I know because I'm the chaplain and they don't tell me everything. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm just mm -hmm. proud of of the honor that we do have. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. for the most part, it's there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well. Tonight, we are looking at Romans chapter 7, verse 7, through chapter 8, verse 1. And you had selected this passage, and we, had, we were talking about it before we came on, how, and this is just the reality of the Bible, God's word, is that we, we think we know a passage because we've read it numbers of times, or we, we've done a lot of digging. But when you actually go and study it, you realize whoa, there's a lot more. And there are a lot of twists and turns that are unexpected. I really think of that as the treasure of God's word, that Absolutely. it never runs dry. You know, right. the more you study it, the more you, you grow and the more you see there's actually, you don't know it as well as you thought you did. And there's more to learn and it just keeps on going. The Holy Spirit just really opens our eyes. And I think you had shared that specifically about this passage in particular as you were studying it. Is, is that mm -hmm. not right? Yeah. So... Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, because what I said was this passage has always been great comfort for me um, when I've struggled with sin, when I've, I've you know, done the things that I don't want to do. Mm. And, and to know that I was in the same company as Paul in those feelings, it, it was very comforting. But then I also think, you know, reading some of the stuff we were talking about earlier and, and that there's a challenge in this as well to... And, and especially if you keep going on into chapter eight to live by the spirit, you know, that, that you can't rest on your laurels just because, Oh, well, Paul felt this way too. Sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that the process of sanctification is, is something we need to take seriously too. And so in that sense, this passage kind of calls you out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yes. Anyway, that's what was going through my head today. Yes. Yes. So, if um, you wouldn't mind praying 
and then reading the passage, then we then we can begin. Absolutely. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together in your word. Uh, and I thank you for the opportunity to, to gather with the Wellspring people and, and explore your word. What a privilege it is to have the family of God all over the, the world, really, and that, that we can rally around your word and you and uh, all that you have for us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you fill us now and, and bless us with discernment, bless us with understanding, uh, bless us with wisdom as we uh, look at this passage and, and we pray that you would bring out mm -hmm. the parts of it that that would bless us where we're at right now and i ask mm -hmm. that for everyone who's, who's taking part uh join us now and bless us we ask it in jesus name amen 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 so just to let everyone know before you read the passage is that feel free to ask a question at any time you can just put it into the comment section and we will answer it you in midstream so just feel free to do that okay all right, Dave. Uh, Romans 7, 7 to 8, 1. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to, me, proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Amen. So any first thoughts, overarching thoughts as you uh, just go through this passage? So, uh, like I said before, I have, well, <laughs> I've struggled with this passage, like, because, you know, it, it, it is a little confusing, helps to read it slowly. Um, and then, you know, what's going on here? But then as I, you know, as I grew in my faith and I saw myself living this out, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I had this desire to do what what was right in God's eyes. And, and yet certainly sometimes I I failed and I was very frustrated. Um, And then to come to the place of acceptance of that, I guess, I don't know. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I, I just, the whole thing, it just drives you to Jesus. That's really what, what I like about it. It just drives you to Jesus. Like you can go back and forth about what's going on inside you and all of that. But the fact of the matter is I need a savior. Thanks be to God that there is one. And then when you move on to chapter eight and the glory of, Hey, now there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. When you know, Christ Jesus, you know, there's no condemnation, excuse me, not consequences, uh, even greater. Uh, it's it's just a the life of the gospel is is in this passage mm-hmm. and that is exciting to me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think of this passage, I think of um, first of all, so many psychologists have read this passage in particular and have thought of Paul as this schizophrenic. Right. You know it it you have this person, it's almost like split personality, two people fighting each other within oneself. Mm -hmm. You can make the case that in a sense, in a sense, there is definitely a battle and, but it's not a psychosis, but rather it's Paul struggling with one, having an indwelling Holy spirit, having the Holy spirit dwelling in him, but yet still wrestling with the reality of sin. Right. That still is, in us as even as believers. And, and so for me, I find this passage, I've always found this passage to be comforting. It's such a comfort because it reminds me that, wow, if Paul can struggle with sin like this, then it shows that we're all in it together. And he's not, he's not a Superman, you know, he's not a Superman, spiritually speaking, he is a real person wrestling through the areas of sanctification that he had to go through just like us. Right. And I think it's especially comforting in the context where it falls with the talk of, you know, putting that your, your sinful nature has been put to death and all that. And Mm -hmm. you start to feel like, Oh man, I, I shouldn't have this then. And then again, that, that Paul had these feelings too. And it's just very relatable. I want to talk first about the law because that's really where he begins, you know, this, this part. And he says in verse seven, what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin or I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. So 
this is a big question, the purpose of the law. And obviously this is, for those of you who don't realize this, maybe some of you do, some of you might not, but this issue of law and gospel has been a huge area of theological debate throughout the centuries, but especially in our century and the previous one, the question of what is the purpose of the law? And therefore it starts there. It sort of begins with this question that the law is sin. What do you think? Paul's quest, Paul's question. What then shall we say that the law is sin? He's saying by no means. Why not? What do you think? Well, because number one, because it's from God. Mm. Uh, so like just by virtue of that, it, it has mm -hmm. to be good. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I mean, this is very much out of this, but it, you know, it provides you with the lines, you know, if you will, you know, that here's, here, here are the lines, stay in them. Uh, and, and so it's helpful in that sense. It does, it is a guide for living, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also allows us to see how, where we're off the mark and, and how much our sinful nature pulls us there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like trying to drive down a road when your, your uh, wheels are out of alignment, like your car just wants to pull over, like you're just naturally going to cross the line. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it serves a very valuable purpose. Yes. The lines on a road, it, it, it's really helpful, even though part of it is it shows you where you're wrong. Yes. Yeah. I think that's significant. I think it is that the law, I mean, Paul says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Right. And we might think, wow, but I wish I didn't know. Well, no, that ignorance is not bliss. I mean, for sure, there's real problems because if you are heading towards a cliff, it's not, and you're driving and there's a cliff at the end, you don't want to close your eyes and be like, well, I'm not, there's no cliff. There's no cliff. There's no cliff. That right. doesn't help you. Right. You know, you have to know there is a cliff and there are signs there that say, do not pass this point or you will go over a cliff. Right. And if that's the law, and if you decide, um, I'm going to close my eyes, I don't care. I don't care. Or as long as I don't know, everything will be okay that's Paul saying, no, that's not good. You need to know that there is sin and you need to know that that sin has, as Paul says in Romans, you know, is, is it uh, Romans eight, no six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. So there is a cliff. It is real. The law points us to the place to know that there is this cliff that is coming. And we, have to realize it is a good thing that the law is pointing that out to us. Not, it's not bad, inherently bad. For sure. And I think it's also, you know, right in with that, that there is such a predominant thought today that, that the law is bad, that it, you know, it would just be better if, if there weren't a law or, you know, you can't tell me what to do. You know, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And I make my own law. And so 
you know, I don't, I don't have to feel bad about anything because, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm above that or whatever that people think that the answer is to just not have any, any standard. Uh, I mean, that, yeah, anyway, that, that just people actually want to live that way. They seem mm-hmm. to, uh, mm-hmm. 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 yeah. So, the thing is, the law has a purpose, but the law cannot do something as well, right? Right. So Paul continues by saying, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I heard a, um, a really great illustration. I, I've shared this before, so, so for some might have heard it, but uh, R.C. Sproul tells a story of the time where he was in elementary school and the the speaker came on and it was the vice principal principal said any students caught using firecrackers in the school will be suspended and rc Sproul was sharing how as soon as he heard that like he had never thought about bringing firecrackers into the school until he heard the announcement don't bring it and right. once he heard that he thought let's bring firecrackers to the school right. And of course, he and his friends brought up firecrackers and lit them, got suspended, you know, and, and I think it's interesting is that, so what happens is that the, the law doesn't create sin, but the law, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produces a kind of covetousness, like it it actually reveals what is actually in your heart and it stirs it up almost to the point where you, it, like I said, the law doesn't produce the sin, but the sin, that seems to be what Paul's saying is that the sin is being produced and the law is, is the one that's saying, don't do this. And suddenly it stirs it up. Absolutely. And, you know, every single person, has a moment like that that they could talk about where they just did something because they weren't supposed to. Yes. And and after the fact, you're like, why did I do that? Yes. Because you just wanted to live on the edge or what? I don't know how to, I mean, there is, I think, uh, an excitement to it, but even that, like, why is there an excitement to it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, remember, uh, some of you might remember the story. You might remember the story of uh, Augustine's confessions where he's stealing pears Pear. from the pear tree, right. you know, and, and then he basically, I don't remember the story, but he basically takes those pears and he throws them on the ground. Gives them to the pigs, he says. Yeah. I mean, he it wasn't to eat it. No. He just, because it was wrong, he wanted to do it. Yeah, he said... He wasn't hungry and they actually, yeah. he had pears at home that were better than the ones they picked, but they just did it because they weren't supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, isn't that a, an illustration of what Paul's describing here? Absolutely, no question. It speaks volumes to the heart condition of the human, you know, of human nature is that we are prone to that. Absolutely. And it's yeah. across the board. For sure. And the older I get, the more I'm, I'm aware of it. it, it mm. We're just mm-hmm. hardwired. Again, it's like the car with, with the wheels out of alignment. They're, it's pulling to the left and it's, it's, that's, it just does it. Uh, there's, there's not a reason. It just happens. Mm-hmm. You have to fight it. 
Another thing that I think of is that, you know, this is, when we say it's hardwired, that's hardwired because of original sin from birth. And so you actually see this even in the youngest of ages. Sure. You know, where you will say, no, don't. I mean, there's a reason why no is a very popular word amongst parents. Right. With little infants and toddlers. Yeah. Because children do not want to do what someone says they shouldn't do that. They want to do what they shouldn't do. I mean, this, you could make, you could write this up for a baby. Absolutely. A toddler. They'll look at you. They'll look at you (laughs) and touch what you're not supposed to do. Yes, exactly. So children are a really great example of a test case of the truth of God's word here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another thing is that it's interesting that he brings up out of all the commandments, he brings up covetousness. Right. Why do you think? You know, it's a, certainly we all have experienced it. Um, It's just, human nature to want what you don't have yeah and we all know that experience for sure Mm. but then i also think it's uh well i mean all sin is but it is a direct challenge to god Mm. know that Mm. you're not you're not taking care of me well enough Mm because i don't have x Mm. um yeah Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I think of coveting versus the other sins, the other sins seem, they have very, um, now granted, Jesus makes it clear that when you're angry, you murder, when you're lust, right. you commit adultery. But they have very uh, physical manifestations. Right. You know, even taking the name of the Lord in vain, you hear that. You know? Right. Um, but covetousness, it's sort of like this, it's very, it's the bookends of the commandments, you know, idolatry, right. shall worship no other God, but be before me. And then essentially coveting is almost the same thing in a different right. manner towards people. Right. Yeah. And both of them in a way you can hide it in your heart. Yeah, They're like, it's you like know? the secret sin. Yeah. It's a secret sin. And I think it's very interesting that Paul uses coveting to describe th- this sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, right? You know, which is producing a lot of other kinds of covetousness, and that's why a lot of times you're coveting your neighbor's wife, coveting your neighbor's goods, and I mean, think of all the different murder happens because of coveting. Sure, adultery happens because of coveting. Right. You know, um, just a. a just a lot of things bearing false witness. A lot of times we will lie because we want something that someone else has and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. You know, sure. we'll steal. Stealing happened because of coveting. So um, there's a, it just seems to be that one thing that once the law's there, we know we're not supposed to do this. Our hearts are then just clinging to wanting to do it. And then it starts expressing itself out sure. to all different ways. Yeah. I think it, it can start fairly innocently also, 
Mm. You just notice something nice, notice something, hey, that guy's got a nice car. Yeah. That's nice. And it, it doesn't necessarily start as covetous, covetousness, yes. uh, but it, it grows there. Uh, yeah. Start thinking about it, and then you start thinking you wish you had it, and then, and then. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important point. The, the innocence of covetousness, it seems right. like, which is why it's so easy to covet. Sure. Right? Because it doesn't sound, it's not murder. But right. where does coveting come from? I mean, where does murder come from? It, there's a there's a track that's been laid right. that leads us towards that end. And it's also really easy to mask in, you know, improving myself or you know trying mm. to. Oh, I'm just working hard so I can yeah, have yeah. a nice car or whatever. Like it's easy yes. to to use acceptable terminology with it. Um, right stuff that that our society certainly says uh -huh. oh, that's a good thing striving for more for better is good um so that part too hmm. i mean especially in a career yeah you know, someone else gets a promotion yeah. and we don't and boy talk about sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment in right. that moment when so you're passed over and someone else gets it and you start thinking, I'm better than that person. Why was I overlooked? And then you start going and then you start thinking about your boss and all the negative things about him or her. And then you start thinking about it. It's really it just describes so well. So this but verse eight, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. All kinds, right? All kinds. Anger, you know, it leads to so many things. For right? sure. Yeah. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The, so there's a lot that's going on there. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I've always read it as, you know, there's this sort of place in your life, even though it may not technically be true, it kind of is practically true where you, you're sort of ignorant to that. I mean, you know, your parents have rules and you have to follow them, but the whole uh, maybe bigger picture in that, the, the spiritual aspect of it, you don't really grasp. Um, but then at, at some point, you, you do kind of connect those dots. And I think even non-believers connect those dots that, hey, this is more than just, uh, you know, there are rules I have to follow. I mean, that's just what it is. And, and yet I have this thing in me that wants to not follow them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's how I've always read it. Mm -hmm. That, you know, you, re you, in a sense, reach a, a, a point of maturity where you understand law, you understand the concept of it, even if you're a child. And that's when the sin enters in. I mean, where it mm. becomes really, uh, maybe maybe you could say <clears throat> it's not just original sin, but you know, my choice to sin at that point. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think similarly, so I, I looked at verse nine as a, um, so the I, be, I do see I, verse nine as Paul, which I know you do as well. Right that this is autobiographical 
and he's speaking about himself. And here's the thing is that a Jew such as Paul who would have been, he would have been raised really as a strict adherent Jew, right. very conservative, right? He would have followed the law even at the youngest of ages. His parents would have taught him about the law. I mean, he studied in Gamaliel, so he was he was trained even at the youngest of ages to be an someone who would adhere to the law. Right. So, in his mind, at that time, so there's no ever like it's interesting because he would have never imagined himself to be apart from the law. He was always completely enmeshed to the law as a right. young child, as even as a young adult and whatever, as he's growing. Sure. But he saw himself as a person who kept the law. But the thing is, he never fully understood the law in its totality until after the Damascus road. Right. I, so th to me, this is really, it's very interesting. I think it says a lot for us as Christians. It's the idea that you can actually be very convinced of obedience to God. And I was once apart from the law. Um, I was once alive apart from the law. Like he actually thought he was doing really well right. and following the law, but he never understood it and because he didn't understand the purpose of the law. He was alive apart from the law. He was literally alive apart from the law. Like that right. is, he thought he was keeping the law, but he really wasn't keeping the law. And so, and then it says, but when the commandment came, there was a realization. When Christ came into his life, when he understood who Jesus truly was, he began to realize that actually he couldn't keep the law, that sin was overtaking him. And then he, he understood he died. Right. Like there's a, there's a, a acceptance to the, that the wages of sin is death and the law could not save him. Right. And so what I think of is this, so this is my application for this context is that I think a lot of Christians, I mean, including myself, obviously, we, we can so easily think that we are alive through our spirituality, you know, by doing good works, by following God zealously in the way that we think. And yet we're actually not living in light of him. We're not living in light of the gospel. Yeah. That is to say that we are alive spiritually, but we're not really alive. Right. And that's a scary thought. I think for Paul, he's getting to the place where he realized that I, I live my whole life trying to follow God, obey him. And yet the more I did that, the more I was, I didn't understand actually that I wasn't actually able to follow the law and to keep right. it. Yeah. It's kind of reminds me of Monday night's conversation about the rich young ruler. Mm. Here's a guy that, yes. that was following all the rules, but didn't yes. connect the reality of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that scary that that actually can happen and it happens sure. to us? Maybe it happens to us in moments and the much more fearfully is that it happens. It can happen our whole life, you know, because you had talked about the blind spot that the rich young man had. Right. Mm -hmm. But his blind spot was more than one spot. It was his, it covered everything. Sure. And it kept him from actually, he turned away. Sure. Right? Well, so, I, I think about, you know, I was, 
pastor's kid grew up mm -hmm. in the church and I was the good, I was the good boy, but there was a, a time in my life when that was, my faith was in that, that, mm -hmm. you know, here I'm, I'm being good. I know all the answers in Sunday school. I know all this. And, and I look at my friends and they're not like that. And, and so I'm better than them. And, and that was a, it was a pretty, pretty rough moment when I realized that that was sin in and of itself. Um, mm. but yeah, I absolutely, my faith was in the fact that I was better than everybody else. You know, mm. I could answer the Sunday school questions. So I, I've lived that, that it, mm. it, your faith is in something close to Christ, but not Christ. And, and so it seems really good, but it's not going to get the, get the job done. So how did the Lord show you that? Um, I was at a Dawson McAllister conference. I don't know if that's a name that means anything to you. Uh, when I was 16 years old and he talked about that specifically, um, that you can't, rest on being the good church kid and he even said that the, the, the sentence that got me mm -hmm. was uh i don't care if your father's a deacon let him deke that's what he said uh this has to be true for you and that uh cut me to the core <laughs> <laughs> what in the world is let him deke? No, I don't even know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how the Lord works in all sorts of ways. For sure. Yes. yes. But I understand. You got to a point where you realize, yeah, it has, your faith is not going to rest on you being a pastor's kid. Right. That does not lead you to Christ. Huh. Well, I think very similarly, Paul says something very similarly, verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved death to me. I think Luther actually went through this, you yeah. know, the, the very idea that, okay, I'm going to, the righteousness of God, you know, to follow him, to repent of sins. And the more he did it, the more it just frustrated him and it made him like even more angst filled and frustrated yeah. until he understood Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. Yeah. You know, for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. But God put forward his son as a propitiation for our sins. And that once he, but that sin, I mean, his, the, the law became such death to him. And he began to realize that the law, while it points out a sin and is so critical, it can't save him. The law itself couldn't save him. And I look at it this way. I think a lot of people think, well, if I do certain things, that surely God will look at me and say, you know, you know, Sam, you're such a good guy. You've done, you've been a really great in ministry. You've sacrificed. I should let you into heaven just because you've done enough. Right. Praise God. First of all, he doesn't do that because that would make him to be very, very weak. <laughs> Secondly, uh, I know he doesn't do that. And I think of it this way. The illustration that I want to give is sort of like a, that it's sort of like the law is sort of like a thermometer. The thermometer is important when we have a fever. 
it shows us that we have a fever, but a thermometer can't cure us of a fever. Right. It only shows us we have one. Yeah, absolutely. You need a thermometer. Right. But can't save you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The schoolmaster but, Christ is, is Yes, yes. But why is it, Dave, that we all still go back to the law to save us? Because we're hardwired. <laughs> In what way? What do you mean by that? In the our sinful nature. Um and, and this is something, uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine, he's another chaplain, and I honestly can't remember what we were talking about, but he made this statement, because I, I, I don't remember, anyway, he said, uh, we were talking about how sin stains every single thing, and, and he said, you know, sin stains my sermon preparation, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't get away from it. It is in my nature. That's what it means. It's in my nature. My very being has it. And so the only thing that can accomplish anything is Christ. Like that is the only thing, even if we're talking about doing the best thing there is to do, you know, that I can't feed the homeless free of sin without Christ. Mm -hmm. Like I can't help little old ladies across the street free of sin without Christ, that it permeates who we are. And so it will, uh, going back to my analogy, pull us over across the line. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, we need the lines to help us to see it Mm -hmm. and to drive us. And, and forgive me if I'm getting ahead, but to the what a wretched man I am phase. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We have to get there. Yes. Um, and the law will get us there if we pay. Yes, it. yes, yes. That is the role of the law is to get us to that place. Yeah. And you're right. I totally agree with you. We have to get there. And that looks different for different people. Sure. Some people will be weeping on the floor, trembling and shaking, and they might have been a drug addict and forever they're free, you know? And so it, it happens that way. The wretched man phase or point. Realization, yeah. Realization is like that. So, or for someone like C.S. Lewis, he's walking on the bus and suddenly he just realizes that he's going to heaven kicking and screaming but he's having sort of a conversation with himself, you know, and then suddenly he's a new man, right? you know, and, but there is still a wreck, wretched man. Or Luther who spent years there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Looks so different for different people, which I think is very important because we're so beholden to sort of the testimony faith, you know, the, the dramatic conversion story testimony where we're at a retreat or a conference and you hear someone give, like I was a drug addict, I was a gangbanger and you know, I killed all these people and they came to know the Lord. And, and then we start thinking, well, man, my, my faith isn't so real because that guy really has real faith. And no, it takes the same Christ on the cross to save the pastor's kid like you, Dave, as it does the guy who, murdered someone sure because our our nature is the same yeah yeah 
So let's go into the struggle. Okay. Ah, the struggle of Paul. Verses 13 through 20. So when you think about this struggle, what are some of the things that come to your mind? Well, again, first thing is just how familiar I am with it. Um, and, and I think kind of in line of what we were just saying that it's important for us to, to kind of grasp the reality of our sinful nature pulling us back, that there is this struggle and, and uh, it's because of us that we have this struggle. It's because of what's inside me, who I am apart from Christ that, that causes this struggle and that that's how effective sin is. Um, that it, you have the awareness, you have the understanding, you, you even desire, your, your desire is to do the good thing, but then you don't. Mm. And, and you're standing there going, why, why did I do that? Well, because that's who I am. Mm. I'm the guy that does that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even when he knows better mm. uh, hmm. yeah. yeah I think every one of us who reads this you read verse 15 for I do not understand my own actions <laughs> I do not understand my own actions right for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate and this can be as bad as someone who has an extramarital affair, who's a believer, you know, they've confessed their sins. There's a price to pay for that. Sure. Maybe a divorce, maybe if not a divorce, maybe a husband or wife who now is living with such deep pain right. and loss and grieving. And this man or woman has to rebuild trust and for really but a pittance, you know, but for nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are many stories where you hear, they don't, I mean, they hate the fact that that happened, but yet it did. Sure. It could be as big as that, because that's pretty big, but it could be a lie. I mean, all of us, all of us have said a lie. And then, I mean, it could be over something stupid. It doesn't have to be big. And yet, Absolutely. After it, we just think, why did I, why? Just so I can look better a little bit for a moment. Right. You know, so it's, it's so easy to go down that road. All of us have been angry sure. and then said a hurtful word. And then we think, I so wish I could take that back. But why did I say it in the first place? You know, what is it? And I think it, it really comes down to, for I do not understand my own actions. And, you know, I think it should be, first of all, for me, it just reminds me that we need to be gracious. Right. We really do. Because who amongst us? <laughs> he who is without sin cast the first stone. Right. I mean, who amongst us doesn't go through this? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and honestly, like I hadn't really thought of this passage in that sense. Um, which may show my own selfishness, but uh, that, you know, to, to acknowledge that it's not just me who goes through all this, but every single other Christian out there is going through this. And that day that you run into 
brother Joe and, and he's having, you know, struggle. He's, he's not having a good day rather than assuming the worst, assume this, that this was a moment of this. He he's mm. right here in the midst of this. Mm. Uh, and yes, give that graciousness to them in that moment. Yeah. I, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's a great point. Yeah. It would change the way that we care for people, you Absolutely. know, and, in that those moments because that that struggle is real yeah. i wanted to read something by uh, jc ryle he's a bit uh, anglican bishop from the 1800s he wrote a book called holiness and writing about this section of scripture he says true christianity is a fight do we find in our heart a spiritual struggle do we feel anything of the flesh lusting against the spirit and spirit against the flesh so that we cannot do the things we would? Galatians 5.17. Are we conscious of two principles within us contending for the mastery? Do we feel anything of war in our inward man? Well, let us thank God for it. It is a good sign. It is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. All true soul, uh, saints are soldiers. Anything is better than apathy, stagnation, deadness, and indifference. We are in a better state than many. The most part of so-called Christians have no feeling at all. I say again, let us take comfort. The children of God have two great marks. They may be known by their inward warfare as well as by their inward peace. It's good news. I mean, I think that's a really important word is that what this struggle shows we're Christian. Right. We have the spirit of God because if we weren't Christian, we wouldn't be struggling. Right. And really, and really that's, that's a very consistent message in scripture that struggle is God's, you know, God disciplining us or, or we should view it as that. Mm -hmm. um, it's an opportunity for growth and it shows that God loves you because mm. if he didn't want to refine you, he, he just let you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's yes. a good point. Yeah. I have one question that has come in and it says, um, should we always test our motives and our efforts, such as giving, going on missions, etc.? What do you think? I mean, I, I think it's always good to ask the question, you know, what are my motives here? Are they true? Are they right? Um, yeah, those are good. That's a good question to ask. Um, especially if you're concerned that, that it might not be. That's where another place, you know, to, to bring in someone else to kind of right. help you with that. Right, right. From a better, better perspective. Right, right. I think I totally agree with you. And I do think that it's important to have a, a place where we can. And we, I don't think we should go around literally question everything. Should I buy milk versus orange juice? You know what I mean? But it's, if there's an area where we're making an important decision um, or if we're thinking about, I want to be a blessing to others, then asking hard questions first to your own soul and then allowing someone else whom you trust, who, who you know is walking with the Lord. So I don't think the answer is to just ask anyone, but sure. ask someone you know who is walking with the Lord and whom you believe can give you wise counsel. I think there's always there's always benefit to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
this um this struggle you know what a it, it just goes through so much and yet it's such a great reminder for us that we have christ you know he is yeah. indwelling by his spirit in us let's go to the last part before because as we're getting closer towards the end which is verses 21 through 8 1 so i find it to be a law that when i want to do right evil lies close at hand for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I think that's actually a really important verse after all this because we've gone, it, again, we cannot walk away from this thinking that Paul thinks the law is bad or evil in and of itself. He sees the law as a delight. And I do think you go to a place where first for Paul, the law was how you are saved. Then Paul comes to a place where he realizes the law actually condemns him. And then he comes to a point where he says, I thank God for the law that shows me where, what I've done against this holiness. And now my eyes are opened to this wretched man that I am. Mm -hmm. So it really, he's gone through this. Don't you think that we need to go through that type of progression when it comes to the law that to see it both as, as uh, Paul says in Galatians, as our pedagogon, as our like, as our teacher, as our t- caretaker, babysitter, mm-hmm. until the parents come, you might say. Right. And then, uh, but there is a place for that law. And it's so important. And once you see its place, you actually delight in it. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I do agree with that, that, that in some form, like, like we said before, you know, it might look different in different people, but to have that realization that the law brings that I am a lawbreaker. And then I think the sign of God moving in me is that it moves from the, the, the condemner mm. to the school teacher, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the one that leads me to Christ. Yes. It doesn't, yes. It doesn't, you don't view it as this says how bad I am. This, this yes. is actually what is taking me here. Yes. And, uh, and then it also, as we have a relationship with God, because, you know, the law is an extension of him. And so it is a, a way to know him also. And, and we can delight in it in that way as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The law is is in that way such a blessing and you know it is so important to realize that we the law has to be that which points us to whom we're missing out on i remember um when i was uh you know i think many of us have experienced this when we're parenting and you're disciplining your children because we caught them doing something wrong and they're crying and we ask why why are you crying and the answer is, I feel bad. And the question is, do they feel bad because they have grieved the one who loves them? Or they do feel bad because they got caught and they're going to be punished and there's a consequence. And the law, if a right view of the law is, it, it should drive us to a real deep sense of you know, I've, I've grieved the one who loves me so much, who's given me everything. And it just pains my soul that I have, I've subjected my savior 
who, who has given everything for me to as if I don't care for him. And that is not what I want for my life. I mean, the law is intended to bring us to our knees and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Lord always picks us up. But it's different from a person who's just caught and just feels bad that they're going to get punished for something. Right. Don't you think? I totally agree. And I, and I, I think of it as, you know, you can read, oh, what a wretched man I am and think of it in a view of, yeah, I've done bad things, you know, yeah, it's, it's sort of poetic. What a wretched man I am. Uh-huh. And okay. But but it's a whole nother thing when you, you realize your complete lack of goodness, you know, that I am just stained, you know, mm-hmm. with no hope of being good enough mm-hmm. to see you in that, to see yourself in that way. Um, it, it will, it, it's basically what you were saying. It's the difference between acknowledging that you've been caught and recognizing that you're truly a bad person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that deep down inside, it, it's not pretty. <laughs> yes. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. You know, I, let me, let's back up just a little bit though. Cause it, you know, mm-hmm. it says there's that place where you come where you, what a wretched man I am. Mm-hmm. But then also slightly differently is who will deliver me from this body. Mm-hmm. Of death? Number one, mm-hmm. I have a body of death, mm-hmm. but number two, that I can't, change that on mm-hmm. my own yes I need a that's a good point party. I, I need someone to come from outside mm. and then thanks be to god that there is someone who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes yes amen i want to bring in um one more a couple more quotes one by uh tim keller and one by um martin Lloyd jones that talks about a couple of these things he's Keller says, because this is true of him, the Christian should never feel condemnation. He should never allow himself to feel it. If we are Christians, your sins and mine, past, present, and future sins, have already been dealt with once and forever. Have you realized that? Most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation. And we could put it in the form of an illustration. The difference between an unbeliever sinning And a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the laws of any state. So this is uh, Lloyd-Jones. A man transgressing the laws of any state and a husband who has done something he should not do in his relationship with his wife. This husband is not breaking the law. He is wounding the heart of his wife. And that is the difference. It's not a legal matter. It's a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be husband legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against a law of the land objectively outside me than hurt someone whom I love. You have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love. You may and you should feel ashamed, 
but you should not feel condemnation because to do so is to put yourself back under the law. So that's Lloyd-Jones. And, and really, I really like that metaphor because the whole point of it is that you have to see the law, uh, the, the sin against, Christ, um, against God as a Christian is a sin against someone you love. You know, it's much more than just simply a legal issue. The legal issue has actually been taken care of in Christ. So we're not even dealing with that. That's why there is no condemnation. But the reason why there's deep pain and grievousness in our soul when we sin is not because there's a legal problem with God, but rather there's this idea that this God who loves us so much and we have grieved him. And anyone who loves another person, who hurts another person, whom they love, like, you know, you're married, I'm married, we've sinned against our wives, uh, we've hurt them. That hurt doesn't mean that we're going to get a divorce. So there's not a legal issue, but there definitely is a love issue. And that, ha that has real consequences. And so to me, that's really important is that it shows, yes, the challenges of, I mean, the sin of uh, chapter seven is still real. We're not condemned legally. But at the same time, I don't think Paul's saying, ah, sin doesn't matter. Therefore, right, no, sure. I mean, he, he spent chapter six actually saying right. that, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but we are free and we should. So for those of us who are bearing the weight, the oppressive weight of guilt, feeling as though God can't forgive me, he cannot love me because I've sinned the same sin a hundred times. Right. How could he love me? Well, brother or sister, Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 through 3 is just, and the whole chapter shows how he can love you. Right. Jesus died for that. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Dave? So uh, the, uh, I, I've been listening to, to scripture while I run in the morning. Mm -hmm. And this is a while back. I was, you know, going through the Bible and it, it was, uh, just talking about all the sacrifices and as I'm hearing it, you know, and it, I listened to a decent amount, you know, it's just over and over and over and over and over and over, you know, if you do this, then sacrifice that, if you do that, then sacrifice the other, if, and, and just on and on and on. And I'm thinking, how did anybody have time to do anything else? Uh, you know, this would have been like a full-time job, keeping track of what I've done and then getting the right sacrifice and, and, and. And it really drove home to me the significance of the sacrifice of Christ, that mm. all of that system that was like a full-time job for everybody, it could have been, mm -hmm. is done away with. And that, right. to me, is the is the ramification of no condemnation. Mm. You know, that, that all of that, and, and imagine if someone who had done that their whole lives, all of a sudden is free of that burden. Mm -hmm. Well, imagine this, the spiritual equivalent of that. And, and so to recognize, and, and I do think Christians struggle with this. I know I have just that whole feeling of surely God can't forgive me this time. Mm. You know, 
the last 99 times, yes, but not this one. Mm-hmm. But the, that the concept of no condemnation is, is real. Mm. That he has no joke forgiven you of it all. And then I think once, once that becomes real for you, then what you were just talking about starts to play a thing that it's no longer about being forgiven. It's about, I love this person mm-hmm. and I yes. don't want to make them sad. Like, or yeah. I don't want to, to do anything that would be yeah. negative. And that, you know, those things are, are closely wrapped together. Yes, yes, yes. No, that's excellent. That's a great perspective and uh were you listening to the dwell up i was <laughs> absolutely <laughs> the, the machine i don't know how you say it robert murray mcshane yeah and uh, i'm way behind uh but uh <laughs> i've uh, i've been since i started running i'm doing you know three or so a day but yeah absolutely uh, using the dwell yes, app more. yes excellent well, thank you so much, Dave. Let me pray for us. And, uh, you know, it's been a joy just to think through this wonderful passage of scripture. Amen. And what a blessing. So let's pray together. Thank you for, oh Lord, for um, just this beautiful passage that reminds us that who who can save us except Christ alone? Because we truly have a body of death. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you have saved us. You've called us your own. You've adopted us. And we are welcomed into your family as sons and daughters. What a privilege it is to know that to be true. We just praise you and thank you, Father, for this time. I pray for blessings over every person. I pray that fear would be driven away. And in its place, joy unspeakable. I pray that in this fight of faith against sin and covetousness and worry and all the frustrations of life, Father, that you would help us all to see that we cannot win the battle against sin by trying hard or trying to obey the law. The law points out what's wrong, but we have to run to Jesus and to the cross of Christ to remember that it is by the grace of God that we have any hope at all. And the cross impact of justification empowers us to live a life of faith with joy. So I pray for blessings over your people, O Lord. Give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and I hope to see you on Friday. Bye-bye.